Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel? Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. She's an author, health coach, and motivational speaker. Backed into a corner multiple times in her life, Carol shares with you stories on how she overcame some of the toughest obstacles a person can go through in life, but refused to give up hope. Rather than admit defeat, an opportunity was presented, and it involves each and every one of you. Carol will feature spectacular guests who will share their messages of hope, encouragement, and their inspiration to prove why life's adversities only make you stronger. And now, welcoming the host of the show, here's Carol Graham. Thank you, JJ, for that introduction. And I also want to thank all my listeners from around the world, the United States and Canada, United Kingdom, Norway, Germany, India, Israel, Australia, France, Denmark, Spain, Sweden, South Africa, Rwanda, Senegal, Ireland, Burundi, Hong Kong, Malaysia, and Pakistan, just to name a few. I just want you to know that I sincerely appreciate each one of you. And when you leave your reviews and your comments, it means so much to me personally, because this is what's going to make the show a success, which it already is. And so I thank you. Thank you. Thank you. With me today is Amy Ostriker. She is a 28-year-old actress, musician, teacher, composer, dancer, and writer. She is a survivor over trauma, including 27 surgeries, which inspired Amy to share her story with the world. Amy has written, directed, and starred in a one-woman musical about her life, Gutless and Grateful, which was a sold-out performance nominated for the Broadway World Award for Best Theater debut. I did see a little portion of that and I have seen a few other um, short videos of Amy. You are in for a treat. You are in (laughs) for a chance to be inspired and motivated by Amy. Thank you so much, Amy, for joining us today. Tell us what happened to you. Well, that is a loaded question. I know. So start from the beginning and whatever you want to share. So I'll start off by saying I was healthy my entire life and never had any health problems and was just um, overly energetic and loved my family and and things were good. I was doing musical theater since the time I could remember, um, and that was basically my life. And, you know, we're a big family. We love, you know, big entertaining parties and lots of food. And my last thing I remember is we had a big Passover Seder, um, you know, with our usual 30 people and tons of food. And and I had a stomachache and um, it didn't go away. So long story short, uh, I went to the emergency room just because my stomach felt a little funny. And the next thing I remember is... um, My mother said on the way to the emergency room, my cheeks actually puffed up because there was so much pressure. And apparently I collapsed and there was a surgeon that cut me open and my stomach 
you know, blew to the top of the OR because there was so much pressure. <gasps> Apparently I had gotten septus and they said that if, you know, we had waited like a minute longer, the fluid would have gone to all my internal organs and I would have died. So that was very, very lucky. No um, way. So I was in a coma for months, and for that, you know, the hardest time was for my family, obviously, because this was out of nowhere. Um, so I woke up a few months later, and I remember the doctor told me, you know, when I was not as sedated and starting to, you know, be conscious and, and interact, I, they said, well, you know, your stomach exploded. I still remember how he said it. Um, and you can't eat or drink anything. And I said, well, when can I? And, you know, he sighs and he goes, I don't know. And so it turned out, you know, no doctors knew if I'd ever be able to again or when or what. And so the tricky part was I didn't have an illness or diagnosis or condition. I was just sort of this you know, this freak thing. So there was no roadmap or guidelines to follow or timeline or anything. It was all just, you know, when the numbers get better and the leaks dry up, you know, this was all I was being told. And, and, you know, it was, it was hard to deal with because, you know, any kind of uncertainty is difficult to deal with. But I got through, you know, by, you know, I have a very resilient spirit. Um, I like to keep busy and I, from day one, because I was never, you know, like it before, I, I didn't like the idea of just being sort of a patient lying in bed. I think my mom lied in my bed in the hospital more than I did. As soon as I could walk, I was like the girl that took five walks around the ICU. And, you know, basically I just never liked feeling like a victim because my one neurotic fear was that, oh my God, I've always been a performer and I want to make an influence. Like I'm never going to make a difference. I didn't want to sort of feel like a has-been uh-huh. at, at 18. You know, this was, you know, my the April of my senior year. And I, I knew what college I was going to and everything. Um, so I I just, you know, I stayed busy. I, I used those exercise bands they gave you in the hospital like crazy. I was determined to dance again even when I couldn't walk. You know, I, I started singing the minute they took the tracheotomy out of my neck. Oh, my goodness. And also, you know, and also to keep busy because not being able to eat and drink, mostly drink because it was so hot in that hospital, um, you know, not even an ice cube, you could go crazy. Um, and so I got through because of my spirit, but just as much my amazing family, I have three older brothers that dropped everything and just stayed with me in the ICU as well as my, my mom and my dad. We were a family like no other family had ever been there. My brother brought their guitar to the hostel. We'd sing for all the patients. Uh, My brother dated one of the nurses. Um, you know, we'd go, (laughs) we'd go bowling in the aisles of the ICU you know, I, there's a few stories in my show, which I won't give away, but, you know, that my headmaster surprised me at the hospital to graduate me for high school with my friends from high school. And my parents snuck me out of the ICU that day to go shopping for a dress and we got in trouble. Aww. And, you know, we just made, we laughed because that was all that could happen. So anyway. How long I'm were you in the hospital? Well, that was a, a uh, almost a year, I think, but, um, many hospital stays in between. Right. I'm trying to zip ahead to, um, 
you know, once I got out, I learned like one of the hardest lessons in life that, you know, you want things to happen all at once. You know, I fantasized that, you know, the day I go to the hospital, everything will be great. I won't have IV poles. I'll be eating and drinking. But, you know, I still stayed with me when I left the hospital. And I was home for months and I still couldn't eat or drink. And in the hospital, you know, you're in a little nest. You're sort of protected. But in the outside world, you know, people have water bottles. There are sinks. Mm -hmm. I mean, my mom was, you know, afraid that I'd, you know, forget and drink from a water fountain and die, you know, because I, I didn't have a stomach at that point. There was just an abdominal cavity there. So anything would just sort of stay there. So I just became obsessed with food and drink. You know, I got every kind of drink container, like baby bottles and pitchers. And I just spent hours, you know, in front of the sink, like pouring liquid back and forth. You know, I was, I was obsessed. And for some reason, that got me through. And then I found out I really liked playing with food (laughs) and having that, like, tactile experience. It's like a very human thing. So I actually started a chocolate business just to have an excuse to go out and buy candy. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) And there's a little documentary on that, actually. And I just shipped to countries, you know, or states all over the country selling my chocolate. And so then finally, three years later, on my 21st birthday, I had a 19-hour surgery and three shifts of nurses and doctors um, to hook me up to eat. Um, Let me just say before that, a a month after I got out of the ICU, I tried out for a musical just as something to do. (laughs) And And I ended up getting the lead in Oliver. And that really got me through to, you know, just to just to stay in touch with my passion because my life has dramatically altered. I had a huge identity crisis. I didn't, you know, in the hospital, I kept telling my mom, you know, I want to go home. I want to go home. And she said, you know, where is home? And like, I wasn't, I didn't know, but I wasn't really talking about like home, home. I just didn't feel like myself, like anything, you know, I had a different body, different circumstances. It's like I woke up in the twilight zone. So, so anyway, back to that 19 hour surgery, you know, again, an example that, you know, we all rested this hope on, um, when I have the surgery, everything will be fine and I'll be able to eat and life will be normal. But, you know, like surgery is, you know, a big toll on the body and that didn't really go as planned either. And then the next several years are just sort of like a blur of setbacks. Basically I'd have a surgery and either I'd develop fistulas or the wound would explode. Like one time my my wound exploded and I had to be air back from California. So basically I could eat, but interrupted by like months of not being able to eat in between because, you know, the doctors would tell me if I stopped eating and drinking, the fistulas would close or various things went wrong. So all in all, out of the past 10 years, it was a total of six years not able to eat or drink anything. And each time didn't get easier. You know, the last time was about, you know, I had just done my one woman show and I felt like on top of the world and I had an ostomy bag. And so I was feeling like, oh, I'm beyond my medical stuff. I'm going to try to get this reversed. And that was my 27th surgery. And it just went so wrong. Aww. It was like three emergency surgeries in eight days. Oh and I goodness. ended up with another ostomy. 
and a big, big fistula. And the doctor said, you know, you should just stop eating and drinking and it will heal. And so I, he just said, you know, it will heal in three to four weeks. So I actually have old blogs that are online from this. It's like torture to read because it's like day 30, day 31, (laughs) all the way to like day 80, day 81. And people read these and they're like, I can't even read this. Um, To the point where I just remember saying, I can't take it anymore. And I just had a big bottle of water and that was that. Um, But anyway, I just spanned a whole bunch of time. You know, the, the big thing is that, um, because of everything that's happened, you know, it's made my life a little complicated, but I can honestly say that I've had such amazing experiences along with the terrible things because of this. Like, you know, my life was musical theater growing up, uh, besides the chocolate business and, and meeting all these amazing people and having a new experience of faith. Like I remember seeing the sun for the first time when I woke up from a coma and I felt like a child, like rediscovering the world again. Mm. You know, I had a whole new appreciation, a whole new sense of gratitude. It was really amazing. Um, But anyway, you know, for one of my hospital stays, it was the time I, you know, had to be airvac from California. And that was really just so terrible because I really thought that, yes, you know, I made it. I'm done. You know, the surgery is over. I didn't even have an ostomy. They had reversed everything. And, you know, it it didn't work out. So that time we were at Yale Hospital for about four months. And I remember my mom ended up bringing just like very cheap, like little kid art supplies into the hospital just to give me something to do because again I was NPO you know no eating and drinking Mm. and I remember waking up at five in the morning one day and it wasn't even light out and no one was up and I was just so sad and frustrated and I needed to like cry or reach out or something but I just you know I couldn't feel anything it was just I didn't know what to do or like where to turn and I remember I took out one of those canvases and I started to paint you know and my mom was still sleeping in like the cot in the room and I painted this piece that I call you know I called singing tree Um, And it was painted in such a terrible time. But now when I show it in galleries and now I'm selling Hmm. and cards for like the message, it's just it's like the happiest picture and people see it and they go, wow, that is so happy. And for me, that really showed me like the transformative power of art, like just by being with my feelings and they weren't good feelings, but I felt better just knowing I was feeling. And then in in translating those feelings and being with them that somehow made me feel better so like after that I was obsessed with painting I went through so many canvases in the hospital and the nurses all knew me as like the patient that just painted something every day so I ended up Uh just um, displaying it outside my cubicle and nurses would bring their patients by in their wheelchairs just to see what I had made every day so by the time I left the hospital, I made about 70 mixed media paintings. I mean, mixed wow. media. Like Are I you used, kidding? I used like toilet paper from the bathrooms for oh like Oh my texture. goodness. And a lot of that stuff, you know, that toilet paper was pretty durable because it still lasted on the <laughs> stuff in galleries. But anyway, so when I got home, 
the first thing I did was put on my very first art show. I called it Journey into Daylight. And I didn't know what to expect. I, I wasn't an artist. I hadn't done art shows. We just rented this big hall and put it in the newspapers. And hundreds of people in those three hours of the, you know, of the reception ended up coming just because they wanted to know what had happened. And this was the first time that I was telling my story in my own words. You know, I wasn't mm. talking, mm-hmm. but I mean, my art was like an open book. Oh, my goodness. You know, it was like my art. So, like, to have all these canvases framed and hanging, literally like 70 pieces, you know, I have pictures of the reception and everyone looking and just being inspired. You know, that was the most amazing feeling. And so that ended me on the Today Show, which is how I met an amazing composer, David Friedman. And, you know, this was a big opportunity. He's an amazing composer. So I went up to him after the segment, you know, with Kathy Lee and Hoda. And I said, you know, I've always wanted to put together like a cabaret act. Would you work with me? And turns out he lives like 15 minutes away from oh my goodness. in Connecticut. And so for two years, we took the hundreds and thousands of journal pages I had written, plus a song I had written, a song that he had written for me that they sang on the Today Show, and 12 or 14 other songs that really resonated. And I put together a show of my story, which I now call Gutless and Grateful. And so where these journal entries came from, you know, when I couldn't eat or drink, I'd cope, you know, one of my many phases of coping, I'd lock myself in my room literally all day because any outside stimulation, you know, would make me feel human, Mm -hmm. God forbid, and Mm -hmm. I would get hungry. So I didn't even raise the blinds. I'd lock myself in my room and I'd just journal all day. And I couldn't even, like, look at my mother coming to the house. So I'd actually email her my journal at the end of every day. And she'd print it out, write comments, and slip it under the door to me just because she knew I just couldn't see people. For years I did that. Um, So anyway, that's where the script came from. And so it started as a cabaret act, but the more we worked on it, it actually, like, you know, it became very theatrical, and it really turned into a one-woman, believe it or not, musical comedy about my life, because my story isn't a sob story. You know, I got through, you know, through laughter. You know, I I couldn't imagine it any other way. I think I would go insane, <laughs> you know. So, um, so then, again, something I never imagined happening, me telling my my story, in my own words, the most honest I've ever been in front of strangers every night in New York getting reviewed. I mean, that took a lot of courage. No and I was nervous. You know, I I skipped over the part about sexual abuse, but I was sexually abused right before um, my stomach exploded. I, I um, you know, I told my mom two weeks before and then before we had a chance for therapy or anything, you know, I was in a coma. So I even, you know, talk about that in my in mm-hmm, my show mm-hmm. for and this was like the first time even people in my life had heard it. So this was like a big sort of risk I took. But it was so worth it because I realized the power of sharing your story, even if you get scared, you know, Pete. I had no idea that people, you know, felt like similar things that I felt. And the funny thing is, you know, people almost started apologizing to me. Like, you know, I haven't been through anything you've like you've been through, but, you know, like it really, it helped me through my tough time. Like, like they almost needed like Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to heal. And 
you know, that's why I realized that, you know, people have to understand that suffering is relative, you know, just because I went through something shocking, you know, doesn't make, you know, other people's experience of healing less important. I feel like, you know, what we literally experience is different, but how we react to it is all like a universal thing. And I feel like that's why we all have something to learn from each other. It doesn't matter whether your stomach exploded or you missed your train or you had a breakup or or anything like that. You know, I feel like, you know, what I went through, like I reached all those common themes, like dealing with uncertainty. I mean, how many people have to deal with uncertainty every day? Isn't that like our life crisis, trying to figure out how to stay afloat when you don't know what's going to happen? And I feel like the advantage of my situation being extreme is like, I can send a message that's really going to get through like, you know, Hey, like I had no roadmap and I, you know, manifested, you know, hope for myself. I, I made my own happiness when there was none. And I connected to myself through my passion and creativity and just hope that things would get better. And gratitude, gratitude was a big thing. And I had no control over what actually happened, but somehow they did. You know, I have a line in my show that says, I don't think things happen for a reason. You know, I think you make things happen for a reason. And I I tried my best to just make things happen because mostly I'm a compulsive overachiever. And if I didn't think I was accomplishing something, I would go crazy. And that might be a little extreme, but the, you know, the impulse to just do and do and do, you got me through a very hard time. So, so that's sort of my story and with a little left out, but I think that's enough. <laughs> well, we'll have to take a deep breath after that, right? Me too. <laughs> water. Now. You, t- you touched on many things. So I made a couple notes here. First of all, you said that our experiences and what we go through in pain or whatever is relative. And many of us look at other people and say, I could never go through that. But when you are confronted with something and or something happens to you or it is thrown at you, it's amazing what the human spirit can endure. I mean, I know you know who said that, you know, Viktor Frankl, who was a Holocaust survivor, you know, so we all have something. And let me just say one other thing, you know, to get me through. I also I love Joseph Campbell and Young and all those people. I actually used Joseph Campbell's archetypal hero's journey as my like Bible because as my roadmap, like I actually gave myself warrior traits every day. You know, I created this whole fantasy like, okay, I'm going into the abyss. You know, that was how I found I could just sort of identify with places in my life I was experiencing. So again, with the universal thing, it it really applies. (laughs) That's right. Exactly. And how we react, which is another thing that you touched on, because no matter what happens to us is what we do with it, what our attitude is, what we find in that that we can be grateful for. You didn't die. You know, that's the first yeah. thing. I was, that, read my, I was read my last rites. <laughs> exactly. Oh, really? Oh, my goodness. After, you know, I both my lung collapsed and I needed 122 units of blood. <laughs> yeah, that, that'll shake shake your family up wouldn't it i have all of columbia hospital to thank for all the blood i think no I used kidding 
I <laughs> and another thing is your is not only your attitude and your attitude of gratitude, but your laughter, which laughter is such a healer. And what you were sharing mm-hmm. about being in the hospital and what your brothers did and the fun that you tried to, oh you know, gosh. to make. And it's all part mm-hmm. of the healing process and makes you want to go on. It makes you it gives you something to live for. So you go, girl, you know, <laughs> Um now, one of the things that I wanted to ask you that I think is a uh, question that a lot of listeners may have or may not, it might just be me, and that is, do you recall anything or hearing anything while you were in the coma? That's so funny. You, Of course, like, you, everyone asks me that, and I just, I'm, I sometimes I try to think why people are so fascinated by that, um, maybe because you know, we have this fascination with like knowing what's sort of on the other side or when we go into that space. But, um, I do, um, I just, you know, very fuzzy memories. I felt like I was underwater a lot and I had like very like sort of tripped out dreams of like me and one of my brothers in an igloo and floating, you know, a lot of floating, a lot of water and, and stuff like that. Um, so, Did you hear anything that was going on around you? Um, it's hard for me to tell because I have fuzzy memories of coming out of a coma and being okay. sedated. So I'm sure that gets mixed up. Like I remember one time, and half of this is sort of what you know, my parents told me too. But um, I wanted my brothers to come really close to me. And then I started trying to bite their noses. And, and they were like, Amy, why are you biting us? And I, they said, I said, I know you're my brothers, but you're also pieces of fruit. So why can't I have one? Oh, right. And so I just, you know, very, very sedated things like that. Apparently, I was very cute and funny and endearing. <laughs> now, during those times and when they would probably consistently come in and give you bad news or at least news that maybe you didn't want to hear how did you cope with that emotionally what did you have I know you said your family and I understand that support but was there anything else that you had whether it in it is just in your nature or whatever that kept you as tenacious as you were and as hanging on to life you know what did you draw from Right. Well, you know, I was 18, but I was in the pediatric unit and, you know, my parents and my brothers were very protective. So I probably didn't hear half of the terrible stuff initially. But, you know, hearing like I what had happened, you know, they waited a long time to tell me because I I don't know how I would tell someone. Um, But, you know, I was very numb from all of this. Um, But you know, every now and then I would just go into bursts of, you know, I had my times where I would just start bawling. Um, Once I could get up and walk around, like the physical thing was very like important to me. Like I just sort of numbed out and like just walked around the ICU with my dad. That was sort of, you know, once I learned how to walk again, that gave me like control. You know, I needed some way to find control in in uncertain times. I think that's also why the painting helped me. Like, you know, I can't do anything. I can't make things heal faster. How helpless do I feel? Let, you know, let me do something where I can. Um, I mean, I was, and this is just me, but I was never one to get really depressed because 
I get, you know, I get frustrated being depressed because I, part of me feels like, well, this isn't doing anything, you know, and I'm very like OCD accomplishing things. So I think (laughs) I I just get like very fed up with myself. You know, that's just me. You know, some people need that time, but I, I, I'm very impatient with myself when it comes to that. So I, I think I would sort of kick myself out of it, mostly because not, not even like, oh, because I know it's bad to be depressed. Like my bigger fear than anything that was happening was I am going to live an unlived life. Like I spent my life as a performer trying to make an impact and I'm not going to you know, make that mark anymore. Mm. Um, so I think that was what was driving me. And sometimes I, I really, you know, things were so like odds were so against me and so many, you know, um, setbacks that part of me was like, you know what? I don't care. I'm just going to lie in bed and, and not give a darn what happens. And that would last for all about five minutes because I'd get antsy again, <laughs> you know, but that that's, I guess, my mentality. You were driven. You're a driven yeah, person. Yeah, sometimes drives people a little crazy, but you know what? I don't think I would be here. That's right. <laughs> You're probably very, yeah, that's probably very true that you, yep. <laughs> you had to have that tenacity, that determination in order to to win, the will to live, mm-hmm. the will to accomplish. Right. Absolutely. Now, tell me a little bit about your art when you were sharing that the, uh, like you use different media art, uh, you know, objects, etc. What were some of the pictures like? Like what, what did they look like? Well, actually on my site, there's a whole gallery of everything okay. from my first painting to now. Um, but, you know, I'm in it feels weird to call myself an artist now, but I guess I can. Um, you know, I had no, I'd never taken an art class. I never did drawing or, or had techniques. So, so that was sort of an advantage for me because I didn't really have a critic, you know, in my head. Mm, telling me. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to paint. I didn't care what happened. For me, it was an amazing experience, like feeling my arm, like physically, you know, the arch of my shoulder. For me, you know, painting was a very physical thing um, because it was a way to feel somewhat comfortable in my body. Like you have to understand, I had like bags and tubes on like every square inch of me. I wanted to scream. Um, so it starts off like my art started off very whimsical. You know, I was very inspired. For me, trees, even before I got sick, trees were like my guardians. I was such a dork in high school. I'd just stare up at trees and like <laughs> just talk to them. I'm, I'm not even joking. Trees were more than just, oh, inspirational nature. Like I saw pe- like character in trees. You know, each one I gave like different names. So for me, like I painted trees. I painted anything that made me feel like who I was before, like that spirit. So everything's sort of very whimsical um, and very colorful and shapes and a lot of girls and flight. And there were always tears, lightning bolts and hearts in my paintings that I couldn't finish a painting without putting a tear in. And it's funny, you know, that carried on with me a long time. Like I would make these joyful paintings, but I had to put one tear in it. And only in the past like month or so have I been able to not hide that in there somewhere, but it's like an itch. I can't scratch if I don't, it's, it's funny, you know, it's interesting. Um, 
but anyway, you know, I started getting creative because I didn't, I didn't know what I was doing. So I'd start, you know, layering things with toilet paper in the bathroom. And then like I ripped up a cardboard box and painted over it and put my painting for texture. And these things, you know, the more I got used to it, they uh. sort of became like techniques that sort of molded my sort of trademark style. And then, you know, as I got into art and, you know, knew there were better materials, I, you know, I'm still using that influence. And I, you know, I haven't really taken a drawing course or, or anything, you know, and, and I just paint from the heart and, and I love what I do. <laughs> so, so that's, that's it right there. Point. You love what you do. That's huge. Yeah. But on my gallery, it is very interesting because you'll see some of the very, very early stuff and how it's influenced by what I do now. And what do you do now? I do the same mixed media abstract things, but, you know, since my art is very personal, it's funny how my art has evolved as my life has evolved. Like, you know, I mentioned I love trees, so I, you know, I always give my trees faces in some of my art. I have these two tree people that have sort of been with me since Yale Hospital, Um, and, you know, I've done about... 25 of them like their series and my last one was the one of the trees wearing a wedding dress and that's what we used for for um our thank you notes for a wedding oh. <laughs> so they've come a long way my trees <laughs> when did you meet your husband um that's a funny story um my 27th surgery that I said it was a disaster. I was really depressed. And I had never dated before, even when I was healthy, because I was too busy and I didn't have patience for it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, I was so depressed after that that I made three big decisions. So I applied to college, finally, um, and I was 25. And um, <laughs> behind my parents' back, I called a theater in New York, two of them, to do another run of Gutless and Grateful. And this was when I still was in my hospital gown, you know. And um, and I decided to just set up an online dating profile after a friend mentioned it. Oh, my goodness. And I'd never even done it. And Brandon messaged me that day. Uh, and we met a week later. You know, I was trying to put it off because I'm like, oh, God, I want to be medically fine. Right. You know, I want to gain 30 pounds. You know, I can't do this. But that was just another lesson from from up above telling me you can't wait for things to get better. And that's another big belief I have. If I had waited for things to get better, and this was the title of my article that was just in the Huffington Post. Like, honestly, if I had waited, you know, to put up an art show till I was healthy to do my show, I'd still be twiddling my thumbs. So that's another example. I'm so glad I met him the next week. Did he come to the hospital to meet you? Is that no? I was out of the hospital by then, and four months later he proposed. Oh my and goodness! We were engaged for two years, and we just got married on June twenty seventh. Really, just this year? Mm-hmm. How exciting! How Very exciting! Exciting! It's like your your life has just taken the exact turn that you wanted to take, but you just had a little hurdle on the way, right? I wouldn't even call it the turn that I wanted it to take, because at this point. I, I know everything that's happened to me and what's led to what. I'm like, all right, Road, just turn whatever you're going to turn. I'm sure something crazy is going to happen. I'll, I'll make something fun of it. <laughs> I mean, seriously, you know, if I make a map of everything that's happened in the past 10 years, like from now on, I'm not going to worry. You know, what am I doing with my life? You know, it's a very you know, fine balance of letting things happen and making things happen. But, but, it, and I think everyone's balance of that is different. 
Um, but, but, you know, if you manifest, you know, your values, at least, and I think, you know, things will just come to you. You know, if you're open to things like, you know, because of today's show, that's how my show happened, um, which is, you know, how I'm going to Kansas City in September, you know, because of that surgery, that's how I met Brandon. I mean, you just you never know. So you always try, I guess. <laughs> you're not afraid. Um, I think everyone's afraid. You know, my one of my favorite things, you know, feel the fear and do it anyway. Or like feel the fear and make something of it and then it becomes a little less scary. It's still there, but it's not as scary. Like Eleanor Roosevelt said, do something every day that scares you. Yep. And that's exactly what it sounds like you've done. And, and it doesn't have to be a big thing. No, you know, of course not. micro movement. Please, yeah. <laughs> Just stepping out of your comfort zone a little bit every day. Right, like one day I'll learn to drive. <laughs> oh, that's right. You haven't done that yet. You didn't that's have. That's not. That's not fear. That's actually for as um not lazy as I am. That's a, a lazy thing. <laughs> <laughs> but that when, will come. When did you start sharing your humor through your experience? At what point um, did you feel that like you could, could you know make something humorous out of it? Because oh, I know you do. Well, in in from the minute from the minute I I um woke up from my coma I think you know because everyone was shocked so I remember I I loved biology so as soon as I could make a phone call I remember I called my biology teacher Dr. B from the hospital I said guess what Dr. B my stomach exploded isn't that cool oh and he's like (laughs) so you were you were still in high school when this happened yeah, it was April of my senior year. That's right. Year. You said you graduated. That's but right. I was, That's you know, right. I was a good student, so they they graduated me. No one really does anything their their last <laughs> few months of high school anyway. That's a good point. Yeah, you're just waiting <laughs> for the, everything to finalize. Yep. So, what are your plans for Gutless and Grateful? Well, that is the exciting part because you know, right now I've only done it in well, I've mostly done it in theaters, you know, cabaret clubs, and that kind of format. But this um, September, I'm actually taking it to the Transformative Language Arts Network. They have a conference every year called The Power of Words. And I'll actually be using my show in a workshop format um, to show, you know, the healing power of, you know, expression and creativity and gratitude. Um, So I'm very excited for that. And, you know, as my art and my show and all this writing I'm doing and telling my stories coming together, I really want to use my show as a motivational tool. Um, I just sent out a DVD of my show, actually, to an ostomy support group in Arizona. So, you know, I have this vision that, you know, hey, all I need is me and my dress and, and a piano. You know, it could be taken to anything as intimate as, you know, a hospital to like a conference or an organization or a fundraiser um, as some kind of motivational speaking engagement because I from you know even just from people walking away from my show I see what a tremendous impact I have and that's just you know addictive like I see I can make a difference and it's great you know if people can take from what I've been through I think that's amazing you know and and more importantly I think it's inspiring people to share their own story because I think the most therapeutic thing is storytelling just by being able to verbalize what happens to you you know it almost makes it more of a friend you know even you know 
the best way to teach yourself something is teaching it to someone else. That's right. You know, so I think there's a lot of power in that. I think that's why, you know, the Chicken Soup for the Soul books are so popular because, you know, people enjoy reading other people's stories. And I think it gets the conversation going, you know, for them to reflect on what they've been through. And I think that's how we all heal, not just from, you know, stomachs exploding, you know, just healing from the everyday right. little currents right. of um, life. <laughs> What do you think is the biggest thing that people take away after they've either heard you speak or watched your show or whatever? Just is it um, – will you tell me? Mm. Well, actually, you know, I spent this weekend changing my site, and I was actually going through old notes I I got from people as, like, you know, testimonials. And I see, you know, one of the biggest things that that happened is, you know, I was so – you know, caught up in what had happened to me, I couldn't move on, or, you know, you reminded me that there's, like, perspective. I think that's an important theme people touch on. Um, Another theme is just, like, finding happiness wherever you are and not waiting for things. Okay. Um, I've had a lot of that, and mostly, like, wow, you know, I got so scared when I saw, you know, the summary of the show, but it's true, you can make humor out of anything, (laughs) you know? Like humor is the best medicine. It's true. That's right. And you certainly have done that. And that's one of the things you're probably teaching people too. Mm-hmm. Laugh at yourself. You have to. You know, otherwise somebody else will, right? <laughs> that's okay too. You just laugh with them. <laughs> that's right. So tell us about the book. You have a book in you. I have a book in me, but not a book out of me yet. Okay. But it will in me. Uh, you know, I've been doing so much writing for all these you know, so if you Google my name, you'll see all these articles I wrote and then I've actually finally just put them all on one site on my site. But, you know, I realized, you know, I just wrote this article, you know, 27 lessons I've learned from 27 surgeries. And I realized there's a lot in there that people have already, you know, taken away from. So I want to write, you know, I'm too young to write a memoir. I've got a good 30 years at least before <laughs> I write a memoir. But I want to write a book that's you know, tells my story, but only enough of my story to enhance, you know, what my point is. I want the book to be more about the people that I'm trying to, you know, make a difference for, but more as like a firsthand experience saying, you know, listen, I went through something extreme. I know, but these lessons I learned are something that can help us all. So, so I'm slowly starting to sort of piece together everything I wrote, written, and, um, and I know that will be a work in progress, but in the meantime, I, I've got my show hopefully doing that job and spreading that message. But, you know, I've always wanted just a, a book and, you know, my art. I love to combine, you know, the art because the art has a story behind it as well. And I have a whole nother, um, you know, writing area that I do that's just about art and healing and how that has helped me. And a big mission of mine, too, you know, outside the show is just to get people to create anything. You know, we're all artists and it doesn't even have to be arts and crafts. You know, we can, you know, but it helps because it's a metaphor for what we have to do in life that we create sort of what happens Mm -hmm. to us. So so definitely with some art involved. (laughs) Was your family surprised at all at how well you handled everything that happened to you? Or did they expect that from you? It's half and half. I mean, you can't say um, you can't say they were um, expecting everything because no one really expected anything to happen. Um, but No, but I meant your I, reaction. Did they expect that you would right, have this right, sort no, of an I'm attitude? Sa- I'm saying like anyone 
you know, they would accept if they got, you know, upset. But I think, you know, they were concerned about how I'd take it at first. But I think they were relieved when they saw, like, the me coming uh-huh. back. Like, okay, you know, it's Amy. She can do it. But I think surprised or expected, I, I don't think any of that goes in this situation. But they, they definitely helped me stay in touch with who I was. And I think that helped me get through. Well, you are an amazing young woman, and I'm sure you've heard that a million times, right? (laughs) Thank you. And how are you today? Like how? I'm good. You know, I have you know from that last surgery, and I'm very open about it. But um, you know, I have that big, big fistula that never healed, and um, you know, I have a lot of guilt about that last surgery because it was the only surgery of mine. That was elective, you know, to reverse the ostomy. And, you know, part of me feels like "Ah, I shouldn't have done it. But, oh, if I didn't, I would have, you know, everyone goes through that. Uh uh Would have wondered what if, what if. Um, And hopefully in the long term future that will get resolved. But, you know, besides that, you know, I have a life and I love my life. And my life is not my medical circumstances because, you know, everyone has something. Right. That's right. Mm-hmm. And that's and we've touched on so many areas, as I mentioned earlier, especially in the area of attitude. And uh-huh. what are you the most grateful for? I'm grateful for this, honestly that life gives second chances and how strong the body is. I mean, it's amazing I didn't die. I mean, as much as I get frustrated with my body right now with all the you know medical things, I mean. You only have one, and it's it's amazing what can happen, you know, if, as cheesy as it says, if you have, like, the right mindset, too, it can make you really feel better. So just gratitude for the power of the human spirit and, and the body, definitely. And grateful that I can eat. I never forget what it was like not to. <laughs> what was your first meal like after you... What did you have? I had this fantasy that I really wanted to eat a waffle. So I remember bringing like a little frozen waffle to the doctor to try that day. And I think I took a little nibble of it. But it wasn't that glamorous after that. I think (laughs) it was just a little soft food. And then, you know, the fistula happened. I couldn't eat, blah, blah, blah. So yeah, everyone always asked. I wish I could say, yes, it was a big Chinese food dinner. And I'm like, but no, (laughs) no. And you're not restricted now? You can eat pretty um, No, I have, like, medical restrictions. Like, I can't, you know, have high, high fat or low sugar, you know, just little things. But I, I eat around that. Absolutely. Or sometimes I'll eat that anyway and it makes me sick. But That's but just a little like, glitch. Sometimes right? you have to learn the hard way. Just a little glitch. Yep. <laughs> you get over it. You, you've been through a lot worse than that. <laughs> well, thank you, Amy. This thank was- you inspiring and definitely motivating and I want to most definitely speak with you again in about six months to eight months whatever and let's we can talk a little more about what's happening and also if you're um, any closer to being published (laughs) Uh, closer but uh... (laughs) it's gonna take a while absolutely I see my show in the meantime (laughs) that's right and you will give us all those um, contacts etc so that we can follow you and keep up with absolutely and all your writing i have i have read several of your articles and they are well written Uh inspiring (laughs) and totally enjoyable 
and you have a gift and I'm sure that your gift goes in many areas of creating as you said in the art in writing in theater in music you are a gifted person a gift to this world and I thank you so much for taking the time well, to be you. a guest today on never and can ever I give a, a little takeaway little tip for for everyone please, <laughs> please do well yeah. I you know I'm always in the bookstore and I see that these um, coloring books are so in right now for adults, which I love. So, you know, go ahead and buy a coloring book and just and just start. I mean, if you can't journal, if you can't put words to what, you know, you're feeling or experiencing, you just start with a little line on a paper. So yay for coloring books. I love that that's making a comeback. <laughs> I that's haven't all. heard of that. What kind of coloring books are they? No, no, they're all in, you know, the they're, they're marketing it as, you know, just – coloring books for for adults like doodling therapy and okay, things like that. okay there's a ton of them so well, that's all, cool. i'm all for that okay not my book but uh <laughs> <supporting> other authors <laughs> that's great thank you amy and thank, thank you, you again and i sincerely appreciated that you were here you took the time and we will talk to you again in the near future great thanks so much carol bye-bye bye Thank you for listening to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.